and that pretty much runs into truth. I think we could do without some remarks from the lower section. <laughs> Well, he is good, isn't he? Turn with me to Romans, the 8th chapter. While you're turning there, we have been studying what a glorious, glorious privilege it was that day when Jesus came back into hearts and lives and every individual could be a recipient of his spirit and what a privilege it was to be able to know that we have had finally, after a lot of years, the ability to walk with God as Adam did and had a new nature given us which could overcome and overshadow our old nature. And we have studied concerning the nature of their old mind and how degraded and darkened it was and also the new mind that God has given us a privilege to have through the power of the Holy Ghost and then we studied concerning the old heart and how its inability to love as uh, God wants us to love and how he through restoration through the Holy Ghost has given us his precious spirit and that spirit belongs to him and God is love and so as long as we're walking in the spirit we have the ability to love as Christ loved I want to read from the 8th chapter Romans about 8 verses there and it begins like this the apostle Paul had just got through going over all of this stuff that when you read it, if you don't read it slowly, you're going to get a little messed up. And he said, what I do that I don't want to do and that which I want to do I can't do. And uh, it's in the seventh chapter. And he said, the good that I do, I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. And if I do that, I would not. It's no more than I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And I find a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. The Apostle Paul was describing the fight between the old Saul of Tarsus and the new Apostle Paul. And uh, recognizing the battle, he simply said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Now, the Apostle Paul knew who would do that, but he wrote that for individuals like me and like you that would be reading this. And he asked a question, and then he gives the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And then he goes on to say, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Now you notice he's writing to Roman Christian spirit-filled individuals. 
And he said, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He lets you know in that one verse that it is a possibility to walk after the Spirit or after the flesh. That would be up to us. And he continues on with his, his uh, contrast between the spirit of life and that of death. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. In other words, they that are walking in the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are walking after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And then he describes what people were for the most part then and what most of us are today. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Contrast between life and death that he makes continually. Because the carnal mind, well, that is that mind where we allow the enemy in where he doesn't belong. That's that mind that allows flesh a place where, and a privilege where it does not belong. That happens to almost all Christians because we walk in a carnal mind. For it is not subject, in other words, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And then he said, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Any time that we are walking in the flesh, we are not pleasing God. Any time that we are allowing the enemy a place where he does not belong, we are not pleasing God. That doesn't mean necessarily that we are going to go to hell or that we are not Christians. That simply means that that particular time when the enemy has taken and called us aside, we are not pleasing God. And when we don't please God then we can't get the things from God that we need. We cannot get revelations from God. We cannot get peace from God. We cannot get joy from God because they don't come through the carnal mind and God only moves when we please Him. So that's why the Holy Ghost came and His Spirit enveloped us and took charge and brought us back to the same capacity that Adam had when he walked with God. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, about the fifth chapter, before Enoch's translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now that wasn't just put in there just to fill space. It was a message to us. There is going to be a translation time. How many of you believe that? There's going to be a time when we are going to be translated. We're going to be raised and translated 
And unless we have the testimony that we please God, sad to say, but we're going to miss it. And so all throughout the Bible, the Apostle Paul, writing from the dungeons of the prison, his heart breaking many times because of the inability of those that he established in the doctrine to walk in the Spirit as he was, and being pleasing to God with tears in his eyes and a hurt heart, sat down in that gloomy prison and wrote letters when he couldn't be there admonishing those individuals to walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. When you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, you will notice in there, in some place, somewhere in his message, he is pleading with individuals to become spiritually minded. His message is always to walk in the newness of life, or walk according to the presence of God, and walk in the pathway of righteousness, and please God in your life. Now, when we received the Holy Ghost, before then we only had what they call the filial love, which just simply is a love that reaches out to maybe the immediate family or somebody that we are close to. That's a fleshly love. All of us can love like that. But humanity had lost the emotional capacity to love as Jesus loved, and pray as Jesus prayed, and be concerned about individuals we even don't know, and the Spirit presses hard upon us sometimes day or night to pray. And of course we cannot place our finger necessarily upon uh, what we are praying for, but when the Spirit moves upon us, it's through that agape love what gets a hold of us and we are praying for individuals we don't know because we, by the power of God, love them. The only way that we can love outside of the norm in our individual lives is to love through the Spirit of Almighty God. So the Holy Ghost was very profitable to us not to make us speak in tongues and dance and shout and that's a byproduct of it. But it also gave us the abilities that had been lost in Adam as his fall. So when the Holy Ghost come into our lives, we had a new emotional capacity. A new ability to love had been given to the believer by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And it made it possible for the believer, that's you and I, to fulfill that for which we was created. Now we should know by now that we, are, we were created that we might minister to a lost and dying world. We came to God and he forgave us, filled us with his presence, and placed a responsibility of reaching a lost and dying world upon us, and we can't reach a world if we don't love them. Jesus could not have died for us if he had not loved us. He had the capacity inside of him, Almighty God, to love even his greatest enemies. And to pray the prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do for those that had nailed his hand to the cross and his feet and punctured his side until he died and also brutalized him and mutilated him 
Why would anybody pray? We couldn't do that in the flesh. But God is trying to teach us that in the Spirit we can and should. That's why He admonishes us to walk in the Spirit and not after the flesh. This is the way that we get the job done because we have to have a love for the world. I don't guess I'm particularly talking about all over. We have individuals in India that we have never seen. And yet we correspond with them and they pour out their heart and their need and in that wicked country they are standing for Christ. And there's something about that when we read those, the Holy Spirit comes inside and we embrace them and love them and pray for them. And when we're sitting here at an established church that withered the storm and withered the fire and withered the rain and all of this and just a few left, God has placed us in the midst of this town to love it like Christ loves it. And to witness to it like Christ would witness to it. And we cannot do that walking in the flesh. Flesh cannot do it. Alright, as much as we would desire for the flesh to do it, it does not have the capabilities of doing that. That's why the Holy Ghost stirs our spirit and stirs our heart and says there's a world that needs to be reached. You cannot pray effectively unless we pray in the Holy Ghost for these individuals. I know of individuals that haven't spoken a word in tongues since they received the Holy Ghost. And yet the Bible admonishes us that we should pray in the Spirit. Sometimes that's the only avenue that God has to use us to pray for individuals that we barely know or we in the flesh would not like. And we pray with groanings and utterings that we don't understand because we're praying in the Spirit for individual lives out there for them to be touched by the Spirit of God and drawn into the kingdom of God. We need to learn how not only to speak in tongues, but to pray in tongues. Did you understand that there's a whole lot of interference whenever we're just praying? I mean, we pray and that's good and God likes it. And we speak out. But there's so many things that can capture our attention. Even in the house of God, when we want to pray, too many scattered minds and too many minds here and there and someplace else. But if you haven't tried, I ask you to do that. Get lost in the Holy Ghost and pray in the Holy Ghost because you are praying to God in a language that the devil can't hear and can't understand and he can't stop it because it's God's Word reaching out and God's prayer reaching out and God's ordination reaching out. It is God, it is not us. It's that that dwells within us. Effective prayer can only go that way.
learn how to pray with groanings and utterings which is hard to be understood. <laughs> yes, sometimes we don't even understand what it is. Other times we can pray in the Spirit and God lets us know what we're saying. But there are times when it's this vessel inside that God has given us that knows how to love and knows how to pray and knows how to intercede and knows truth and knows how to love individuals that are unlovable and we are we are simply intercessors for them. And sometimes we don't even know who we're interceding for. But God does. Somebody is praying a prayer that is touching a life. It doesn't mean that somebody is going to just right after you pray automatically come running in there. Because God is moving in your life. Somebody is praying a prayer that needs to be prayed. And there's individuals most likely sitting on the edge of, of a decision that just needs a Holy Ghost intercession to bring them and tip them this direction. But until we learn how to pray in the Spirit and we have that heart, of Jesus. Hallelujah. Remember, it was John that leaned on his breast. What was he doing that for? He was feeling the heartbeat of his master. He never forgot the heartbeat of his master. He never forgot as his ear was pledged there and this whole natural heart was beating and it was beating with love and John never forgot that and then he was given that same heart that Jesus got and his heart beat with love when he was on the Isle of Patmos praying and writing to you and I tonight because he was in contact hallelujah contact with God hallelujah he was where God wanted him he wrote these wonderful wonderful words and revelations and in first and second and third John and all of that has a Holy Ghost of God has that spiritual heart as he was leaning on the breast of the spirit of almighty God began to unveil that which had been locked up for centuries and John began to open it up and write it down and finally it come to a place where it said seal that book up John and don't write it down that time is not yet and I want you to know one thing time is Shortly coming to pass when God is going to look at somebody, I don't know who it is, and going to say, read that book and open it up to the church and to the people of the living God. Hallelujah. Thank God. Written down, but <laughs> hallelujah. You must not. It's not time yet. What's he saying? At the end of time, when everything else is going down, I'm going to deal. I'm going to 
Look at that little book. I'm going to open it up. And I'm going to allow somebody to write down some of those things that's been sealed for generations. And I'm going to give them an anointing. And I'm going to give them the wisdom. I'm going to give them the power. And I'm going to give them the love. And I'm going to give them the confirmation. And I'm going to deal with them. And they are going to write. And they're going to expound that little book that's to the church. Hallelujah. Of the living God. Who knows truth. And been established. Upon the truth. Of foundations. Hallelujah. You see John. After he got off of the Isle of Patmos. Wrote three little bitty books. And those things are packed full. Of the ability we have. 1 John 4.19, he says, We love Him because He first loved us. Now what are you saying, John? He's simply saying until you got this new heart, this new emotional capacity, you didn't have the ability. And now that you have it, you have natural affection. Before you had it, you did not know or have natural affection. What is natural affection? It's the ability to love God in spite of what's going on around you. That's natural affection, loving God. We can neither know the love of God nor respond to that love without the indwelling power of the Holy Ghost. John says we love him. This is because we have received the ability again that Adam had before he fell. The ability to have the mind of Christ. The ability to think as Christ thinks. Thought. The ability to love as God loved. And the ability to walk in the will of God has God walked. And all of those Adam forfeited when he fell. God talked to him but did not commune with him. God talked with me before I received the Holy Ghost, but he did not commune with me. Amen? God, uh, God loved me. God told me, in a sense, what he wanted. But now then, I have the emotional capacity to be able to walk in the cool of the day with God. And I have the capacity to be able to know how he loves, to know what his mind is, to know what his will is, and to walk therein because of that which indwells me. Don't get me wrong, I have a fight. Flesh likes to rule. It don't like to relinquish it. It likes to rule. But we know one thing. That God came to be the ruler. Often in the scripture we are 
throwed off a little bit sometimes by not really uh, looking at it as it should. Sometimes we think that the thought that the thought is presented that God makes his uh, appearance and entrance through the mind and then from the mind to the heart and from the heart to the will of man. But the Apostle Paul suggests that God enters into the individual's emotional capacity to love. If you love God, he will withhold nothing from us as far as what his mind is. So first he deals with this emotional capacity to love, and then that processes to the mind, and we start thinking like God, and then it processes to the will, and we start doing the will of God. Hallelujah. I like that. Enter in. First love. Love for truth. Love for God. Love by the Holy Ghost. And then if you love God with all your heart, why then your mind comes and embraces. And loving God, you can't love God without finding what His will is. Amen? I mean, if you really love God, you wake up every morning trying to find out what His mind is for us. And then we'll ask, God, what's your will for me today? Because we wake up with a love of God in our heart, and the love of God then transforms our mind, and then we are walking after the will of God. But all of this comes through that new heart God has given us. The Spirit of the living God. The heart receives the love of God, and then the heart is enlightened, and it progresses to the mind of you and I, and then to the mind we start thinking godly thoughts like Adam had in the cool of the day. Like when God was communing with him, talking with him, and God was sharing his aspirations for his creation, and Adam was sharing what he wanted from God in this perfect state. And then all at once, the heart couldn't love anymore. The mind couldn't think God would anymore. And the will was darkened. And Adam was dispersed from the garden. And God could not commune with him anymore. He loved him enough to clothe him, but he could not share with him his secrets and what he wanted. I don't know about you, but there's so many things in here that I want to know. I am so desperate to find them out. And I know, God, 
And, and I say every morning almost, God, I love you. As much as I know you, I love you. But the more I know you, the more I love you. And God, give me a greater love and desire. Because I want to know where you're going in these last days and what you're going to do with me in these last days. I desperately need to know what my destination is and what I am to do and to reach. And it's the revelations, God. Is there things that have dwarfed my ministry? I was sharing with the church at Willis Springs when we were talking about people being offended. And I just shared from my heart the things that many of you know. How I have built a church and, and uh, with God's help and, and God blessed and you couldn't ask for a more spiritual church and how I felt I needed to leave and how I had raised a young man and took him under my wings when he was 16 years old and all of that. And then because of something, I don't know what, something happened until I couldn't even get in it and he become my enemy and he was telling things that offended me. It offended me. And then God dealt with me on that message on offense. And he let me know right off until I could get over that, my ministry would be stymied. He wouldn't take it away from me, but I had gotten as far as I was going to go until I was able to lay down that offense. And a lot of people don't even know the things I went through. Don't even know the lies it was told. Wouldn't understand them if they did and why they could. And how it went from one place to another. One lie right after another. And my character was simply almost destroyed except for those that knew me. And God says, If you want anything restored... And he took me to the book of Job. And he said, Job did not get anything restored until he prayed for his enemies. And so I said, God, if that is dwarfing my ministry, if that is, in a sense, destroying me, Hate destroys the hater, not to hate it. And I said, God, I have but one thing. And I don't mind telling you when I started to pray for that boy in that church. I said, God, please strengthen, brother. God, I can't do this. I can't do this. He wanted to destroy me. I can't do this. I'm hurt and I'm offended. And finally, God said, if you will do this, I will release your ministry to a new height. And finally, under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, 
I was trying to do it myself. Under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, I prayed for success. I'll tell you what, I don't know, I'm almost 77 years old. I feel like I must be 40 sometimes until after it's over with. But I feel a new lease on my ministry. I feel something inside. I open this book up, and where it used to have hidden meanings, when I open it up, it has something to say to me. And when I walk, and talk with God. He has something to say to me. He opens my spirit. He opens my mind. He opens my understanding. And He lets me know that He loves me and that I'm not dead yet. And if I'm not dead yet, I'm not done yet. I still have an anointing of the Holy Ghost in my heart and in my life and in my spirit and a growth. I paid a price. And you have to pay a price. That's all there is to it. As a result, an individual that was once vile and lustful and foolish, had a heart that would not repent, now has a new heart. And God allowed me to know that. That's the old fleshly nature. It gets offended. But if the new nature of Christ, did you ever notice any time when what they did to Jesus, never at any time did He really suffer an offense? Did you ever notice that? He was never offended. Even when Judas kissed Him with a kiss of betrayal, He wasn't offended at Judas. He knew it was going to happen. And when they took him and they tortured him and they whipped him and all of this, he was not offended in them. The only one he was ever offended at is that power that the devil left in fallen humanity. And he said, I'm not going to let you live in that. I'm going to deliver you through my spirit inside of you. I'm going to change you. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3, Ye are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared, declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of your heart. I have written it. Hallelujah. The apostle affirms that truth comes to them as the gospel penetrates the heart. Evidence that they received truth has been given them by the apostles was actually seen in their transformed life. They could have continued the same vile, blinded person 
even after receiving God's Spirit. Don't ever be mistaken that that old man has been renewed or is dead. He's just like he always was. He's your fatal enemy. He's just like he was before you got the heart of Jesus Christ and mind of him. He wants to destroy you. This is my commandment. John says again, isn't he, in St. John 15, 12. You see, if anybody ever talked about love, it was John. Because leaning on the breast of the Master, don't ask me how, but something was transmitted from that beating heart of love for the man Jesus that never left John. He always talked about it. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, John writes concerning Jesus. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends. There's that little bitty word that we want to skip over, if you do whatsoever I command you. That's what makes you a friend. That's what makes you pleasing to God is simply because you're doing what He asks. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. You see what a rising in authority and and, and places that God has placed us. He called us out from being a servant of sin to become a servant of His. And then we graduate. Because we're doing what He asks us, we graduate from a servant to a friend. Because we're pleasing Him. Hallelujah! Don't you like to please Jesus? There's something about it that you just want to square your shoulders back and snap your suspenders and say, I have been pleasing to Him today. And then there's times you want to bow your head and say, Man, if I didn't flub up. And Jesus says, You have an advocate. Sure you did. But you just come to Him and He'll just make everything all right and you're right back where you should be. Isn't he a loving God? But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Now Jesus used the word friend. He was emphasizing a heart-to-heart relationship that had been established through the power of the Holy Ghost inside of us. As God loved us, we respond And we love God. Amen. That new ability to love as Jesus loved. That's what he was trying to get Peter to see when he said, Simon, lovest thou me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I feel he owe you. You know that that I, I have this this 
what would you call it, a, a, a liking, a, a something as far as flesh is concerned. Everything that's in me, you know that I do. And he says, feed my sheep. And then he says that another time. And then the third time, and Peter was just a little bit exasperated because he didn't, he didn't know at the time until later on. He really didn't know what Jesus meant. And then he says, feed my lambs and feed my sheep. Now what Peter didn't know, that Jesus knew, that was Peter was going to go to the upper room. And what Peter's inability to just filio him then, he was going to receive a move and a heart and a love placed inside of him, and it was going to change from a filial love to an agape love that made him love like Jesus loved. And that's why he was able to suffer and finally die. He had that ability. This love Jesus is talking about is not the purification of the whole heart. It is not the remodeling or the remaking, or the refurbishing of the old heart, but in the area of our emotions and ability to love, God by His Spirit has given us a new capacity with which we may love God, receive God's love, and pass that love on to others. Hallelujah. That's when we're walking in the precious Spirit of God. We find in the Word... And I just went over that. Sometimes I get ahead of myself. We find two words, filio, and of course, agape. And that's a love, agape love that responds to that which we are attracted to. A love that manifests itself because one wills to love God. Do you realize that there are taxing times in our life where we don't understand God and don't know where He is? And it comes to the will that God has given us to will ourselves to love Him. When, like Job, God has allowed everything to be taken away from Him, and loved ones, and we pray, and we agonize with God, and we wonder where He's at. And as far as God doing something for us, there's nothing there that makes us love Him. But then the Holy Spirit of God rises up within us, and we know His will, and we just will to love Him anyway. Hallelujah. God loved us because He willed to love us. He couldn't have loved us any other way. Final proof of one's maturity, I'm unclosing, is to love God as God loves. Not responsible only to that which appeals to us, but loving that which may be unattractive, because one wills to love. Such love manifests a new capacity to love which God has given by His Spirit. And then, 
when we seek to do that, when we have embraced this, then comes conflict greater than you have ever known before because you haven't advanced beyond carnality to walk the way you want to walk, to testify how much you love God and still follow after the ways and the will of man and you have no struggle there. But then you have made up your mind. The Holy Ghost given me, has given me a new ability to love. It has given me a mind which seeks after God and not after the things of this world. You see, if our mind is on God, as Brother Todd said during his stressful time, his mind could have been on that machine that just, and he could have kicked his tires if it had any. Or he could have just took a hammer and said, work right, you infernal machine. But instead, Realizing the only one way to ride a bad day is to get a hold of the Master. Hallelujah. And once you do that, hallelujah, regardless of how awful a day is, there's a feeling of triumph inside of you. Because you have overcome what flesh wanted to do in the first place. Okay. So that conflict comes when we have made up our mind that this is it, I am tired of walking in the carnal state of man. I'm tired of the devil placing things before me that says this has to be done before you pray. This has to be done before you come to the house of God. This has to be done before. And we realize we place it all under God. And when God says it's time to do this, He will make a place and a way for you to do it. But most of the time, it's there and it's gone and we don't even realize it's been there. Because we have just been so used to walking after our own ways and after our own belief until finally... You know, when we do this, and I've said this often and I'm saying it again, the danger of doing these things is that your heart becomes hardened and it becomes darkened and you can't love and you don't know God's will and you sin and you become so habitual at it that you don't even ask forgiveness. And if sin is not asked to be forgiven, it's a sin that will be there when you are called home. And God says, none of this is going to enter in to the kingdom of God. No wonder John and Paul was so insistent on those individuals to walk in the newness of life. And no wonder his writings that have long since been omitted 
from everyday living still becomes afresh and new today. And God ordains His ministry with that same message. You can't just keep walking like that because finally your heart is going to become insensitive and calloused and hardened and what you have done against God all your life you will continue to do and it has become so much a part of you that you don't see any need to repent. And this follows you into judgment seat of God. The pleasing thing about God is He warns, He challenges, He don't expect us to do all of this in one day. But let me tell you something. Fifty years, and He reveals to me things that have been pushed back in my memory. He reveals things to me every day because I want to know them. So I can repent of them and get them out of my way. That's a weight. And the sin, I said the sin that will send most people to hell, the sin, he didn't say sins or a sin, the sin is the sin of offense. Where we hold somebody has offended us and we hold that until it destroys us. I believe with all of my soul of all of the sins that maybe will send people to hell. For Christian people, this is the main source of destruction among church people. We get hurt. So and so did this and I just can't go to church anymore because of what so-and-so has done. Offended, hurt, turned it around. It's destroying them, and they don't know it. And it's destroying them, and still destroying them, until finally it destroys them. Because they won't turn it there is not an individual here in the sound of my voice that hasn't been offended. Now what we have done with that offense is up to us. But we can't keep it there. Because if we have a ministry, it will get in the way of a ministry and dwarf our ministry. And as a saint of God, we cannot reach what God has expected us to reach. Continuing to close. 